The church is it's vital to the mission of God. It's important. God didn't just save a person. He saved a people. That's what he is about doing in the world. Uh, Dave brought you through this last week that through Jesus, God united us to himself and to each other. He reconciled us from the world, redeemed us from the world, reconciled us in relationship to himself, and reconciles us to one another, uniting us together as one people. His unifying work doesn't just give us a new individual identity. Obviously, we are new. We are no longer sinners. We are saints. But it gives us a new corporate identity. We are no longer the world. We are no longer strangers. We are no longer aliens. We are the household of God. We are the dwelling place of God. That is our corporate identity. We are God's people. He is our God. This unifying work is, is seen across times, across places. It, it, it has been happening since, uh, since he was redeeming people, since he's been saving and electing people out of the world. But it's most obviously expressed and enjoyed in a local congregation. We are people limited in space and time. We are not and cannot effectively be members of the universal church. Although we are, imagine what it is to be a member of the universal church and never be around other Christian folks. It doesn't work. The the local expression, the local church is where we see God at work among his people most clearly. Do we enjoy uh, stories and, and the history that has established that we stand on 2,000 years of church history. And, and do, do we enjoy that? Do we appreciate it? Absolutely. But where the rubber meets the road is right here in the local congregation. This, whether we recognize it or not, in most instances, I think not, but whether we recognize it or not, this is a vital part of God's plan for your life. You need us, and we need you. In fact, it's a non-negotiable, I think, in the terms that as God saves us, he does not save us to just wander through life as individuals. He saves us to be active participants in his church. He calls us to that. And that's why, as we think about, as we walk through this doctrinal study, we have to take a time, we have to take a look at the gifts that he gives us, the spiritual ways that he enables us to be a blessing and benefit to one another. And that's why we're looking at spiritual gifts this week. But before we jump in, before we just dive into this, I'm going to make a note. I'm not going to try to answer. I'm, I, you will finish today, and you're going to, you're going to be like, oh, that, he didn't answer half the questions I have about spiritual gifts. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not going to. I'm not even trying to. Right? We're going to deal with this. We're going to come back to this after the beginning of the year when we deal with some of the distinctives that we hold as a church. What, we're, we're, what I'm really intending to get to today are what we would call the essentials of this teaching. What is it that, that every Christian, whether you're a charismatic or a cessationist, whether, whether, whether you are Baptist or assembly of God in your uh, church tradition or history, regardless of where you come from, we would all agree, we would all tend to agree on these essential things that we can unite around in this local body of believers. After the beginning of the year, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of the things that we would hold, that we would seek to promote, that the elders teach, uh, perspectives and positions that we teach from and seek to promote in the body. We are not cessationists, which means that we do not believe, that we do not teach 
that there are some gifts, gifts that have ceased to be being used or that the Lord no longer empowers his people with. However, we are not in the same vein as Pentecostals or Charismatics that would, in our opinions, tend to overemphasize some of these gifts that are miraculous in, uh, uh, or revelatory in their function. We would say we're continuationists. Some, some of you might have heard the term that we're cautious charismatics or we're charismatics with the seatbelt on or something along that line. We, we believe that God will gift his people any way he intends to spiritually empower them when he ten, intends to spiritually empower them in any way he sees fit at any time and in any place. That's God's business, not ours. Right? That's what we would lean into. That's what we would teach. We're going to deal with that more specifically. So I'm not going to address every issue that could be dealt with in that way. Today, as we talk about this, I'm going to, I'm going to answer three questions. What are spiritual gifts? Who's gifted with them? I guess this is really two questions in one, but that's the first section. What are the purpose of spiritual gifts, and, and why are they so important? Why would we take a time in a doctrinal series that we're really trying to say, these are the doctrines that we unite around? Why would we take a time as we speak about the church, and emphasize this, this teaching? Well, those are the, those are the questions. So we're gonna, I'm going to read the passage, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to jump right in. So let's, let's do that. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to be, begin reading in verse 7, read through verse 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. That you've, through it, taught us to be wise towards salvation. And that you teach us as your people to to be able to live in light of your truth. To, to, To be able to be confronted with our own selfish desires, our own, uh, our, the, the passions of our flesh that wage war against our soul so that we can then repent and walk in a way that's honorable to you that in everything you'd be glorified. I pray today that by your spirit you would reveal truth to our hearts. That we might know the truth, that we might believe the truth and that thereby we would be able to live and walk in truth. I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Now, Peter's writing to a, a group of Christians that's been scattered. Like, we're not going to get all the history of what's going on here just by jumping in, but he is writing to a group of Christians that has been scattered across Asia Minor, uh, and, and they have been suffering probably social persecution. I, I think this is happening before the time of Nero, where Nero brought this great tribulation against the Jewish people and Jewish Christians in particular, uh, or Christians uh, of, of all walks of life, really. It's not just Jewish Christians. But, but I think it's just before that. I think they are suffering social persecution. They're being pressed out of cities. They're not necessarily being uh, martyred at this point, but they are really feeling the weight of following Jesus. 
And, and, and he calls them in, in, in this section to remember. The end of all things is at hand. Now, in a sense, that gives them a perspective of hope, right? Like this life we're living, this way we're suffering, this struggle we're enduring is about to be over. It's coming to an end. I can hang on. It's a call to endure. It's a, it's, a, it's a promise that something better is coming. The thing that you've been waiting for, the salvation of your souls that's been giving you joy, as he calls it in chapter 1, it is coming to the place where you are going to walk into that salvation and know it fully. Now, that's what he's saying. The end of all things is at hand. But as much as it's an encouragement, as much as it is a, a sense in which he's seeking to, to build out a, a, a sense of a, an ability to endure, for provide hope for these people, I think it brings with it a sense of urgency. When, when I was turning 40, I almost never pay attention to my birthdays. In fact, if, I did, if somebody doesn't tell me happy birthday, most, day, most of them, I didn't know it was my birthday. But when I turned 40, something is different about 40. When I turned 40, I thought, I am almost dead. <laughs> I got, I've got a lot of work to do. i got stuff to get done. I, there's a sense of urgency. The end of all things is at hand. Yes, that can be encouraging, but I think it provides for us a a sense of urgency to the four instructions that he gives that follow immediately after it. There's an urgency to live a life that doesn't undermine the effectiveness of your prayers. Instead of running out, putting on sandwich boards that say the end of all things is at hand, live a self-controlled, disciplined life that your prayers would be most effective. To to urgently prioritize loving one another. Above everything else, love one another. Because this kind of love, this Christ-like love, covers a multitude of sins. The reality is this. And just thinking of how the church is united in Christ. the, The reality is this. If you see division in the church, you can trace that division to sin. You can trace that division to to sin that that is inherent among us, that's happening among us. Maybe it's against each other. Maybe it's it's just we've learned to just be comfortable in one another's sin rather than pursuit of Christ. But to come at it from a different perspective, not only is there a sin in the church that's causing division, there is a lack of love in the church, a lack of a Christ-like love in the church that's allowing that division to exist. The Christ-like love looks at one another, and instead of measuring everybody by their faults, it steps in, it sacrifices of itself, and it gives itself to the benefit and the blessing of those who don't deserve it. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? It's exactly what he did for us. There's an urgency to, to, to being hospitable without grumbling. To be a host, to welcome people in, to to ensure that as people come in and among us that they are made to feel welcome. This could have meant in their their gatherings or in their homes, in in which likely were happening in the same places. These were likely, because they had been facing social persecution, these are probably most most likely not meeting in large public places with the the approval of the governing uh, uh, powers. These are probably small groups of Christians that are being called to put themselves at risk, to welcome in the stranger, to welcome people into their homes and into their gatherings that they might hear the gospel and see the gospel at work among God's people. To be a host to those that they don't yet know. 
And finally, the fourth instruction he gives us is, and, and, and he gives it with the most explanation, he points out the urgent need for each Christian to utilize the gifts that they have been given to actually exercise, to not just say, I have a spiritual gift, but to actually prioritize it, to actually recognize the urgent need for it to be used in the church. We believe, this is the statement, this is the point, we believe God gifts each member of his church with his power for his glory, their good, and the advancement of his gospel. We believe God gifts each member of his church with his power for his glory their good, and the advancement of his gospel. That's what I believe is, is what, one of the things that we can draw out of what Peter is teaching us. When God calls us to something, when he calls us to a work, he gives us and equips us with the abilities to do it. One, one of my favorite stories of this, one of my favorite Bible stories of this, is after the Israelites had come up out of the Red Sea, come up from the Red Sea, they, they end up at Mount Sinai, they enter into covenant with God, he begins to give them very specific instructions about building the tabernacle, which was going to be their, their mobile church meeting place, right? Like they were going to be building a tent with, with walls made of curtains, and, and uh, uh, they would, if they were moving, they would fold it all up, put it all together, and, 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 and move on, and wherever they stopped, they would pull it all out, set it all up, and they gave them very specific instructions for the tabernacle and all the implements or all the tools that would be used in the tabernacle. But he didn't just expect them to figure out how to do it. Oh, I called you to do this. I gave you these very specific instructions. Hope you figure it out. No, he actually met them and, and actually gifted them to do it. In fact, I think that one of the reasons I appreciate this story, let me, let me read it to you first and then I'll tell you that. So, so Exodus 35, 33, 35, the verses are not on the screen. I just want to highlight the story for you. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called the name, called by name, Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God. Do you hear that? That's like New Testament language. He has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze. Hey, I want you to build this tabernacle, but because you've never done the things I've called you to do, I'm going to give someone the ability to do it. I want Bezalel. Bring him. He's going to do the work. It goes on. In cutting stones for setting and carving wood for work in every skilled craft and he has inspired him to teach not only am i going to give him the ability to do it i'm going to give him the ability to teach others to do it both him and aholiath the son of ahisamech of the tribe of dan i don't know if i said that right but i've always learned if you just don't know you just say it fast and move on so Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, he has feel, filled them with the skill to do every sort of work done by an, an, an engraver or by a designer or by an embroider in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine, fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Now, I think the reason I like this passage is so much, this, this particular passage so much, to see how God has gifted his people to accomplish the mission he's given them 
is because we are so prone to immediately move to this place that we think we're supposed to do some supernatural, powerful act. And that is not at all what the Bible ultimately represents in the way God gifts his people to do his work. It's not that we dismiss that there are supernatural acts of power. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But just because you have never healed somebody by laying your hand on them doesn't mean that you have not been given some gift that he intends you to use among his people. He gives us very practical skills to accomplish his work in this world. See, the the thing is spiritual, they're they're always going to bear a spiritual fruit. They're always going to accomplish a spiritual task, but they don't necessarily have to be supernatural. God works in process far more often, and this is evident even in the Bible, far more often he works through the process through, through some supernatural means. God empowers even our physical efforts to do his spiritual and supernatural work. This is what I, I believe this is what Peter is getting at. The gifts that God has given you, use them. We, we, we believe in that. We, we believe that God empowers us, that he, he gifts us for his glory, our good, and, and the advancement of his gospel. And there's an urgent need for every one of us to be busy about doing this. There's an urgent need. The church is desperately seeking, the, the church is desperately hungry for the church, not just one or two people, to do the work that God has given us to do. We all have a place. Well, what are the gifts and who has them? Well, first, the gifts, spiritual gifts. I would say this way, based on verse 10, spiritual gifts are God's grace given to empower God's people. Look at it, verse 10. What does he say? He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The gift that God has given us, and in fact, the the, the word gift is the word charismata, which is related to the word grace, which is charis. They're they're connected. This is God's grace that empowers us to do God's work. It's it's God's grace in various forms, in in, in a variety of ways. Thank God that he didn't gift everybody among the Israelites to build tabernacles because they needed more than tabernacles built. They needed people to lead. They needed people to administrate. Thank God he didn't just leave it up to Moses. Who when he met Jethro along the way, Jethro says, man, you are hurting yourself and the people. Raise up leaders to help you do the judging. Raise up leaders to help you administrate and and govern over the people. It's going to be better for you. It's going to be better for them. Thank God he has gifted his people more than just people like me to stand up here and shout at you for 45 minutes every week. I, I was, it was funny because as we were in Peru this week, uh, I, I, I met some people from LifePoint, one of our sister churches that I hadn't met before. And, and Lane, I know Lane really well. He's the pastor down there, one of the lead pastor down there. <clears throat> know him really well. I've known him for a long time. And, and one of the girls on the trip, I actually think uh, if you were on Realm, you were praying for her because she got pretty sick. Her name is Kayla. When I was introduced to her, I found out that she's the softer version of Lane. She keeps everything moving. She's very organized, wants everything to work a certain way, holds everybody accountable, but she does it with mercy. Lane will tell you, I'm just not a merciful person. I'm just going to say how it is. 
And, and, and so those two balance each other. Thank God that there are people who are willing to take a stand, to be prophetic in the way that they speak, in the way that they talk. But thank God that he has given us people who are very gentle and merciful. We, we need this. The, the various forms of God's grace at work empowering God's people. That, that's what Peter is talking about. God's grace in tangible ways. So that we can experience His grace in tangible ways. But, but we have to be careful. Because this isn't just about enjoying some blessing from God. It isn't about just getting some thing from God. I appreciate Sam Storms who is, I don't agree with everything Sam Storms has to write about spiritual gifts, but he wrote a book, Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. I would commend it to you. He is more charismatic than I would say I am. It's okay, but, but uh, he writes something that I think is vital for us to remember. See, these spiritual gifts are not just about getting something from God. It's about getting God himself. Sam writes, <clears throat> spiritual gifts, <clears throat> excuse me, spiritual gifts, are not God bestowing to his people something external to himself. They are not some tangible stuff or substance separable from God. Spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us. God is grace. He doesn't just act gracefully or graciously. It is his nature. It's part of his identity. So when we receive his grace to use in and among his people, we aren't getting something from God. We are getting God himself. He goes on, he says, uh, spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our mind, infusing power in our wills, and working his sovereign and gracious purposes through us. Spiritual gifts are concrete disclosures of divine activity and only secondary, secondarily human activity. Gifts, spiritual gifts, are God going public among his people. Here's the beauty of this. When we use our gifts and, and, and share that grace and we act as good stewards of God's grace, people aren't experiencing us. They're experiencing God because he's the power behind the activity. This is the beauty of what spiritual gifts are, is God's activity among us. So when you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see over and over the life of Christ and the way he lived and the power he exercised. And when he uh, uh, returns to heaven, what's the word? When he goes up. Ascends, thank you. When he ascends into heaven. See, I need you. When he ascends into heaven, the very next thing that happens is the people go back. They're told to wait. His followers go back. They, they spend 10 days in Jerusalem praying and waiting, gathering together, praying. And the Holy Spirit's poured out on them, and they begin to work with might and power. And we often call that book of the Bible Acts of the Apostles. But when you watch the power behind the work, you begin to see that's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. See, the... The apostles didn't plant the church. The apostles didn't spread the gospel. The Holy Spirit spread the gospel through the apostles. It's his power at work. This is God giving himself to us that we can enjoy God. 
Well, what is it that, well, another way to answer this question, what are spiritual gifts? What is it that God empowers us to, us to do? But Peter gives us a clue. He has two overarching perspectives. Paul makes lists of them in the books that he writes. I appreciate Wayne Grudem's definition here, though. He says, any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church, any ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. I appreciate that. And, there, and the reason I appreciate that is this, is that when you look at Peter, he highlights two activities or, or, or two types of gifts. When you look at Paul in the, in the different list that he offers up, there's about four of them. He lists different gifts. It, it shows us that none of these lists are exhaustive. So in Paul's letters, he, he, he lists gifts and he talks about teaching in a couple of them, but he doesn't list teaching in every one of them. He talks about tongues in one or two of them, but he doesn't talk about tongues in every one of his lists. So, so, so what we can discern, what we can see, is that Paul, even as he's giving lists, is not writing an exhaustive list. He, he's not writing uh, in, in, to, to show us that these are the only ways God gifts his people. He, he empowers our ability. He gives our abilities, maybe even gives us new abilities. So that we can do spiritual work, even in physical tasks. Now, now Peter, he, as I said, he lists them as speaking gifts and serving gifts. Paul, as he does it, he has inside the speaking gift category, if you will, there's teaching, there's encouragement, there's prophecy, there's tongues and interpretation, words of wisdom and knowledge. All, all of these are, are different ways that words are used and empowered by God for the, good, for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the advancement of his gospel. Let me just ask you a question. Any of you just learned to speak after you became a Christian? No. You were already speaking. But suddenly, you can now share a message in such a way that it has spiritual power if God has given you the gift of teaching. Did, did, did nobody ever offer encouragement before they were Christian? Probably not. Oh, you get on Facebook, there's people trying to encourage people all the time. People put up some foolish statement, oh, I, I hate the world because of this. Oh, well, we love you. You're such a great person. Everybody's on your side. Except for those other people who are naysayers who are jumping on that same feed and telling you what a fool you are. But now, if you've been gifted with the gift of encouragement, you can bear spiritual fruit in a person's life when you bring that encouragement. Barnabas was known for this. That, that's the idea. It doesn't have to be only something you finally learned how to do or some, some, some new ability, but God empowers us and gives us an ability to do a spiritual work even through physical means. Serving. Uh, some, some of the categories, some of the, uh, another big category, serving, that, that Peter highlights in verse 11. Paul lists a number of them. Leadership, administration, mercy, helps, healing. The reality is, is that there's leaders all over the world. There's guys who are writing leadership books that are probably astounding leaders in the corporate world. In fact, there's a there's a guy that I'm constantly being directed to. He's like an ex-Navy SEAL. I can't think of his name now, but he's an ex-Navy SEAL. Maybe you're always a Navy SEAL. I don't know. Anyway, 
He, he was a Navy SEAL at one point, leader, uh, military officer. Now he writes leadership books. He's not a Christian. But he has this insight into leadership. And I'm not saying we can't learn things from that. But, but God enables us to lead in a way that's spiritually fruitful. He empowers us for an eternal purpose. That, that, that's the idea. That's what these spiritual gifts do. As we serve, we use His power to accomplish His task. As we speak, we speak in, 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 in intentionally seeking to say the things that He would have us to say. We're not writing Scripture again. We're, we're not displacing the need for Scripture. We're not revealing new things. Everything that we would say, everything that we would speak would come from, that would fall in line with, and would be measured against or filtered by the Scripture. But so that people who aren't reading the Scripture can hear the truth of God. That's necessary in the church, and that's necessary outside the church. As as much access as we have to the Bible... I'm going to suggest that we're probably not spending as much time in it as we could. As much access as we have to read and study and know the Word of God, I'm guessing we still need someone to tell us what it says in there because we're spending a lot more time listening to a lot of other voices instead of God's voice in His Word. We need these things. Spiritual gifts are are God taking the things that we do and empowering them for very spiritual purposes. They are enabling us to enjoy the presence of God, both in word and in service, both in word and in deed. This is the reality. Now, who is given these gifts? Well, he tells us. Spiritual gifts are given to each of us. In fact, look at verse 10 again. As each has received a gift. The idea here is that everyone has received some gift. They each means each. Each of you. Not some of you. Not one or two of you. Each of you have a spiritual gift. You have been empowered by God's Spirit in some way, either to serve in word or serve in deed. You've been empowered by God's Spirit to do spiritual work, either with words or in deeds, or maybe both. But each of us have been given this gift. Ministry was given to everyone. We say this in our membership, uh, in our Connect Launch, when we're talking about vision and mission and philosophy and membership and all those things. We talk about this. this is, ministry is not mine. I am not a minister and you are something else. We are all ministers. In fact, in Ephesians 4, where Paul is speaking to the church, and he says to them, God has given the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, for, to, to bring maturity, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to equip you, to equip, equip the individual members of the church, that you would be given this gift so that you could use this gift to do his ministry. J.I. Packer, in his book, Concise Theology, writes this, Every member ministry in the body of Christ is the New Testament ideal. It is clear that officers who oversee should not restrict the informal ministries, but should facilitate them. Just as it is clear that those who minister informally should not be defiant or disruptive, but should allow the overseers to direct their ministries in a way that are orderly and edifying. 
the reality is that we should be complementary to one another. That our gifts being used together bring great glory to God and great good to his people. The idea is, is that I shouldn't be in your way and you shouldn't be in mine, but instead we should be working together, complementing one another, and the use of our gifts should be extremely edifying and then very uh, uh, obvious to anyone who comes and visits with us. They should see God at work in our church as we do this life together, as we are united by God in Christ. Not, not, none of us, not, not a single one of us has been given every gift. <laughs> but every one of us has been given some gift intended to be used for God's glory, the good of God's people, and the advancement of God's gospel. And it's urgent that we get busy doing it. Well, we've been dancing around this question. The, 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 so, so that's the first question. What are the gifts? Who has them? Here's the second question. What, are, what, are the, or what is the purpose of the spiritual gifts? Uh, this won't be quite as long to get through this. So what is the purpose of the spiritual gifts? I've been dancing around the answer to that. I've been saying it quite often, but I want to call it out. Peter shows it to us in two ways. First, spiritual gifts are given for the good of the church. Look, look at what he says in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. It's intended to be used for, to, to meet the needs, to meet people at points of need in the life of the church. Spiritual gifts are given for the good of the church so that we serve one another. Now remember, he's, he's, this is in light of him saying, the end of all things is at hand. So serve one another with your gifts. While we wait for the end of all things to actually arrive, these spiritual gifts benefit the church by meeting the needs in the church. Not just physical needs, not, 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 not just paying our bills, like, oh, I can't pay my power bill, and some brother or sister comes along and, and secretly gives you some money. Not that that couldn't be talked of. There are gifts of, con- there's a spiritual gift of contributions. There's people who have a desire to give and be very generous. But, but spiritual need, as much as physical need. We see the balance of that happening in Acts chapter 6, where the apostles recognized the weight of the daily distribution. And so instead of, instead of giving up their primary calling, the word and prayer ministry, they call for, for other people to be raised up to lead those ministries of distributing uh, among the widows, to, to providing the daily distribution of food and, and resources. There's a balance both of spiritual need and physical need, and our spiritual gifts are enabled or intended to, to, to work so that those things are met, so that we find we have what we need among God's people. Spiritual gifts are given for the good of the church so that we see His grace at work in tangible ways. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, also emphasizes this idea in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, in his most extensive teaching on spiritual gifts in 12 through 14, he writes in 12, 7, to each, you hear that again, to each is given the manifest, manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And in you, as you look at the context, he's not talking about common good that, that, that everyone in the world, he's talking about common good in the church. You can see that play out in the context of that verse. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 He writes, so with yourselves, he's writing about tongues and prophecy and and which is better. 
He comes to this place. So with yourself, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. His emphasis is that our spiritual gifts are not intended for us to enjoy personally to the exclusion of the church. In fact, that's why he says, if you have a tongue but it can't be interpreted, stay quiet. Because you're not doing anyone any good but yourself. If we are going to exercise spiritual gifts, the fruit is to be enjoyed not by the one exercising the gift, but the ones receiving the blessing of God's grace in its various forms. That's the idea. It is to be good to the church. Now, don't think that being used of God in eternal ways is not an exciting and and enjoyable thing. Getting to be present this week when, when we see essentially scales fall off of religious eyes and then profess faith in Jesus Christ is a pretty exciting thing. That, that's amazing, actually. Humbling. And as much as I enjoyed that, who do you think enjoyed that more? The guy who just woke up from death. Right? Like, that is power to him. That, that, that's the idea. Certainly, we will enjoy the, the use of our gifts, but it's intended to be a blessing to the people that we use them for. They, they are to be used for the good of the church. They allow the church also to enjoy a bit of heaven on earth. Remember, the end of all things is at hand. This is a difficult life. We suffer, we struggle, we find difficulty in this life. In fact, we're promised it. When Jesus says, in this life you will face trouble, but take heart, I have overcome The idea is that now, right now, even now, we get to enjoy the goodness and grace and glory of God in very beneficial ways to us. That we are not overcome or only defined by the difficulties of life, but as His people, as His community of His people, united in Christ, we get to enjoy all of the blessings and goodness of God as each of us use these gifts, which gives way, I think, to the second perspective that Peter gives us here. Spiritual gifts are given for the good of the church. Spiritual gifts are given to make known the glory of God. Look at verse 11. He tells us to do all these things in order that in everything God may be glorified. So that in our lives of worship, using our spiritual gifts for the glory of God, the people who receive those gifts can't help but turn around and worship God. That we live our worship that leads others to worship. That's the idea. That's the importance of this. That's what we're doing. That we want one another to experience the greatness of God, the glory of God, the goodness of God, not in a way that is scary or frightening or causes us to run away, but that's coated in, drenched in, lavished in His grace that enables us to fully enjoy it, to be tangibly blessed by this majestic God who speaks things into existence, who raised His Son from the dead. And who has said, when you die, you're not really dead. You'll be with me forever. And hey, by the way, I'm sending my son to take you to be with him forever and ever. The end of all things is at hand, but you have nothing to fear. Because we enjoy the grace of God even now. Even now. And what is that intended to do among us? 
cause us to look to him and worship him, that he would be glorified. Brothers and sisters, we should be most moved. We should be most inspired by the glory of God among us. The conversations that are on our lips, the things that we talk about, I think so often are the humdrum everyday things because we've never sought to really engage in our spiritual gifts that each of us would know the tangible grace that God has lavished upon us. Spiritual gifts are given for the good of the church. Spiritual gifts are given to make known the glory of God. Why is this so important? Again, I've been dancing around this answer, but we need to call it out. Spiritual gifts are necessary for the gospel to advance among us and beyond us. See, there's really two, two, two ways to per- proceed through this. One is there's a lot of, a lot of fakes out there. I'm just going to call it out. There's a lot of gold dust falling from air conditioning vents. Those people should be ashamed of themselves. There's a lot of, a lot of dark power running under the auspice of spiritual power. Oh, it's spiritual, all right, but it's demonic. Teaching people to speak in tongues and just say nonsense phrases over and over, and then finally you'll get your tongue. We don't work this stuff up inside of us. This is God's work giving us power. I watched the video. This is, it, it was meant to be funny, but, but it's really sad when you think about it. A guy trying to teach people across a television show how to speak in tongues. Just start saying gibberish words. Just start saying, say it faster, say it faster, say it faster. And he literally says, if I had a gun to your ribs, you'd say it faster. That, that's, that's not the Holy Spirit empowering tongues. There's a lot of dark stuff out there. In fact, there's, there, there's uh, this amazing moment on, in a blacksmith hut in Africa where I'm sitting with this guy as he's working metal, and he's got this makeshift uh, furnace, and, uh, oh, man, he's, he's got a bicycle wheel that he's turning, and it's running a fan. It's got a belt hooked to a fan, and, it's, man, his coals are bright, and it's so hot. You can feel the heat. It's already hot in Africa. But it's hot under that, that, that little tent thing he's got, that little awning he's got. And I'm like, man, you ever burn yourself on those coals? He said, no, no, I'm a, I'm a Conte. We're, we're, we're blacksmiths. We don't, no, he's not saying it like this because he speaks Mandinka. It's a different language. But it's essentially the answer he gives me is, I'm a Conte. I, we're blacksmiths. We don't get burned. We, we go to the marabou, which is a Muslim version in Senegal. It's a Muslim, Muslim version of a witch doctor. They take... Quranic phrases and use them for demonic purposes, but they can cast curses on people and all this kind of stuff. But, but we go to the marabou, we get this phrase from the Quran, and we'll recite this phrase over and over and over so that we can pick up coals and hold them in our hand. And literally, as, he, as he's saying, pick up coals and hold them in our hand, he picks up, a coal, picks up a coal and holds it in his hand. Now I'm sitting here watching this happen, and I'm in utter disbelief. There's real dark, demonic power at work in this world. And there's a lot of it that goes under the auspices of God's power. 
You know why it's so important that we use our gifts? So that God's power is represented in this world in the way that demonstrates truth and grace. Second, imagine if everything we do is only by our own power. That's pretty pitiful. And that's awfully short-lived. I can come here every week and I can shout at you for 45 minutes. I hope that's not what it comes across as, brother. I love you. Oh, I love you dearly. I can get words from my vocal cords to your eardrums. And that's about it. It takes an act of God to change your heart with truth. Now, there's a lot of people out there gathering crowds. A lot of people with very charismatic personalities. A lot of people drawing people to something other than the power of God. That's in the church and outside of it. But only the house that God's built will stand. That's it. So we need God's power because ours is never enough to accomplish an eternal work. See, that's the idea. That's why we need it. we, we, We can't just learn knowledge. We can't just gain information. We need God's power. Again, Sam Storms in his book, very helpful book, he he writes, biblical illiteracy and theological naivete have reached epidemic proportions in the church today. But more than knowledge is needed, mere doctrine won't suffice. Now, I want to stop right there because we are seeking to address this issue in our church. Biblical illiteracy and, and a lack of understanding of what we believe and why we believe it. We are seeking to address that. We started a whole ministry for that. Equipped classes are intended to help a person learn. Not just, hey, I'm supposed to pray, but how do I pray? Not, I'm supposed to read the Bible. How do I read and study the Bible on my own? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to understand the doctrines of the Bible, but what, what is it? We're, we're teaching theology. We're teaching about how gospel affects life. We're teaching giving knowledge so that you can put it into practice because you can't believe what you don't know. But we can't think that knowledge is enough. We need God's power. More than knowledge is needed. Mere doctrine won't suffice. What the church needs is truth set aflame by the power of the Holy Spirit. What the church needs is the divine energy of God Himself bringing what we know to bear on how we live and how we pray and how we love and how we witness. We don't have it in ourselves to do this. But God has given each of us some of His grace, so that we can turn around and manage that grace so that His people get to experience His grace today in real, tangible, concrete ways. So the question is, are you using your gift? This church, oh, it's so obvious in this church, you can go to a life church, you can go to a James River, you can go to a Ridgecrest, you can go to a, a Second Baptist, and you can disappear, and it doesn't matter. Brothers and sisters, this church needs your gift. What a beautiful way, what a beautiful place it would be. What a beautiful place it has been when we've got to see people step up and use the grace that God has given them. Not so that they gain, but so that his people gain 
and understanding of his glory. Now, I don't know what that means for us as the future unfolds, except that until the end comes, if we'll get busy about doing that, we'll know his grace every day until the end arrives. We'll know his glory more fully every day until the end arrives. To me, that's pretty compelling. We believe. We believe God's, God gifts each member of his church with his power for his glory, their good, and the advancement of his gospel. So Christian, find your gift. How do I do that? Well, you could take a test. But I, I, let me just be honest about those tests. If you don't have history of using and expressing that gift, you, it, it's not going to tell you. See, l- look for a need. Look for a need in the church. Look for a way the church is hurting. Look for a way that the church needs something. And since this is your local body, don't, don't, don't start out with your friends at Panera. Nothing wrong with being a blessing to them. Don't, don't misunderstand. This is your church. Use your gift here and see if spiritual fruit doesn't begin to pour out. Practice hospitality. It's a responsibility Peter gave every one of us. Without grumbling, be, be hospitable. All of us have the responsibility. Some of us, it will actually bear spiritual fruit when we open our homes and host people. I, I think I'm being called to teach. We'll give you a shot. That's scary. <laughs> Probably for you and me. <laughs> But you know, if, if somebody hadn't given me a shot, hadn't opened a door, I can tell you this, I wouldn't be standing here today. We wouldn't have started a church 11 years ago and seen God save souls and grow souls and seen mission being accomplished around the world, even in a church of 100, 150 people. We wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. You got you to gotta try something. Look for a need and seek to meet that need and ask God to give you power to see that need met. That's how you find it. I'll help you. The the pastors will help you. We'll put people around you to, to, to help you. But it starts with you. The responsibility, Christian, is yours. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'll just tell you, any power you use will be yourself or will be the devil. Call it like it is. But let me call you non-Christian, religious person, maybe just walking in off the street, finally realized I'm lost as a goose and I need Jesus. Trust in Jesus Christ today. He died in your place for your sins and he rose victoriously on the third day, giving you the hope of eternal life. But until he returns or calls you home, he's given you purpose and he will empower you by his Holy Spirit to be a benefit to your brothers and sisters in Christ, but start with trusting in him. Let's pray.